Hello, and thanks for finding us. Karam Deo is a local church in Denver, Colorado. We're a network of friends following Jesus together. Join us for preaching, teaching, announcements, and other musings. My name's Mike. I, uh, I so agree with even what Tanya is saying. I feel that. I know when Christina was just up here playing, there was this, I don't know if it's even part of a song or not, but she just said, uh, you're here and we love you. And um, I just felt like <laughs> so good. I've been single dadding for the last three days. My wife left me. <laughs> She's coming back. She better come back <laughs> um, tomorrow. So uh, I'm just very aware in moments like these of my imperfection. <laughs> I have four amazing kids. I'm taking care of three of them by myself. And um, it's wild the things that you find come out like when, when you're pressed. You know, I, we had a friend who used to tell us in discipleship, he'd be like, you know, you clean the garden of your life. He goes, and then God presses on the soil <laughs> and all these roots start coming up and you're like, I didn't know that was there and it's ugly, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think sometimes we can just come back to like this simplicity, like, God, you're here with me and I love you. And that's it. My like weak expression of love. It is real, however weak or strong it is, you know? So um, that was good. Thanks, Christina, for leading us and Tanya for coming up and sharing. Um, <clears throat> I am going to try and jump in here because typically the last few days before I share, I'll order my thoughts. <laughs> and uh, if I don't do that, like I feel like a normal person, then they have like a 15 minute great word. And then like, but preachers get lazy and they just don't stop. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> and then like two hours later, you find yourself and you're like further away from the point than when you started. And you're like, this is going bad. <laughs> so I'm going to, uh, I am going to jump in here. Um, I'm going to speak just slightly differently. I, I, uh, um, I want to, I want to share some things I believe the Lord's speaking about, like this time that we're in. Um, and, and I'll do a little bit of teaching, um, but I'm going to share some fun stories and then give us a quick opportunity at the end to just respond again in worship, but really to reflect and ask the Lord, like, God, will you help me to engage daily in sacrificial love? So that's what I'm going to talk about is, um, is sacrificial love. And, uh, yeah, so Holy Spirit, we just welcome you to come teach us. We don't just want a good theology. We want to walk relationally with you, the relational God, all the days of our lives. In every season, be near us, God. Show us who you are and who we are and how you've called us to live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so for those of you guys that don't know, I'll, I'll try and be quick with some of this. My name's Mike. My wife and I moved here with our three kids at the time, and then we just had our fourth. From Kona, Hawaii, where we've worked long-term with uh, Youth with a Mission, or YWAM, for like the, I've worked with them the last like 15 years. We came here on a word of the Lord in October. Our primary residence and place of home at this stage, we still consider it to be Hawaii, um, but this certainly is a place um, that we love. The community, the friendships that are here, 
the friendships that have been growing the last number of months that we've been here this time. And so we literally came here on a word of the Lord uh, to do a number of things. Um, Matt kind of, what, what did he do? He kind of backdoored, yeah, he ambushed me. He kind of like backdoored this invitation for us to come. And I was like laughing. And then I was like, oh no, like that maybe is the Lord. And I asked my wife and she's not about like, yeah, let's uh, move our whole family to the mainland from Hawaii, uh, and I'm pregnant, and let's buy a house there, which is impossible, and, uh, and do that. That's not like her like, go-to, necessarily. Um, and yet, as I was sharing with her some of what Matt and I were talking about, she's like, I think we're supposed to do this. And um, so we're here for a variety of reasons, but one of the big ones is to be a part of this community and to learn from you guys, because I believe that we are actually on the edge of a new epoch, <laughs> new time. <laughs> and it's going to look different than it has looked in the past. I believe that. And um, on New Year's of 2019, so two years ago, a church on the East Coast asked me if I would share, pray and ask the Lord for a word moving into the next year and I share with their church. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And so I prayed, and I felt like God gave me something that was a little bigger than what I was even thinking. And I've come back to it now consistently for the last two years. And I just want to read it to you guys, and we'll build out of that for my, for what, for my message on sacrificial love, okay? So to the New Year's 2019, I felt the Lord say, always be prepared through disciplined prayer, purity, and fighting to stay encouraged. And I wrote this, I believe this year, this is 2019, we're going to see a door beginning to open for the gospel like has never been seen in our lifetime. It will continue to open more and more through the first half of the 2020s, and it will be accompanied by historic world events, really exciting things, probably some really scary things too. But they will shape the course of this century. I believe our children and their children after them will look at the last quarter of the first quarter of this century, meaning the last quarter of first, first quarter 25 years, last quarter five, six years, right? Um, they will look 2020, 2025, roughly. They will look at this, and it will be easy for them to see that these years set in action many of the unfolding events of the 21st century. I believe this is the year we go from seeing like the light in the crack of the door to the door truly being open. So what do we do? Um, be always prepared for his purposes through disciplined prayer, purity, and fighting to stay encouraged. Okay. I, I, wish I, could have, I wish I could share this with like, the encouragement part. I've been like, God, I, I don't have a platform to share it with more people. I've just watched so many people be so discouraged this last year. And it's a fight. It's a fight to stay encouraged. But I want to encourage you. God is on the move remain encouraged. Also, I, just, I would just say this. Um, when I talk about purity, I, I'm, I'm referring specifically to the concept of pure, which means um, it, it means it's one thing, purely. Like, it, it is without contamination or mixture. Does, does that make sense? So I'm not just talking. I feel like anytime in a church setting you say purity, you're talking about sex. It's like, <laughs> that's just like the assumption, I feel like. When you go to church, someone's like, purity, oh, it's a sex talk. You know, like, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this idea that something that is pure is one thing. That's, that's what it is about one thing. 
And I think, you guys, that um, people's mixed motives and desires for things other than Jesus um, have been and are being exposed in the church right now on a bigger scale, like on a, the church, meaning like believers around the world. Um, but specifically for our context within the United States, I believe there is a purifying. And to be honest with you guys, many who are lukewarm are not just missing right now because of COVID time. They're gone. They're gone. There are statisticians right now predicting that post-COVID, 25 to 30% of churchgoers pre-COVID will never return. 25 to 30%. And with them, we will likely see a drop of funding, of resources, and honestly, of like political-based influence as the church. We're on the edge of a new time. I want, I want to encourage you. It, it may look like in these coming years, you guys, that the church is shrinking in the West. Like we're going to see that. Like right now, we're like, yeah, 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 nobody goes and everything, but it's COVID time. And when COVID, like, there's going to be a stop, and then it's going to be like, whoa, we're going to have like all this. Uh, I don't think probably so. But I, I am convinced, I'm convinced in the midst of that, you guys, that it is, it is a purifying. And I, wa- I want you to be encouraged because as the church is purified, those who remain... Honestly, the ones that are actually following Jesus. Hi. Yeah. You want to go home, wise. (laughs) All right, let's close in prayer. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, we'll be done in just a minute. I love you. Thank you. Um, Gosh, I get so sidetracked, but I just have to tell you about this. Okay, I will. I was was teaching a winter retreat for an uh, uh, Asian-American youth group in Texas via Zoom right after Christmas this year. And uh, long story short is they were high schoolers, and I was like, you guys are doing a three-day retreat retreat on Zoom starting December 26th? So I was like, I would not want to go to that. (laughs) If I was a high schooler, there's no way I'd want to be a part of that thing. So I was like, yeah, I'll be your speaker. You know, so then I get a card in the mail, like just a couple weeks ago, like two weeks ago. And there's this fat card. And I I love that because whenever I feel the card, I'm always like, yes. Because what people do a lot of times we speak is they'll they'll get everybody write a note or whatever of encouragement. And I'm a words of affirmation guy. So like, I was like, yes, I'm going to get, I told my wife, don't throw that away because she just throws all my, she throws them all away. So she doesn't even open them. So, um, so I'm like, don't throw those away. I want to read them, right? So a couple days later, I open the thing up, like a week and a half ago. I open the thing up. I open it. It's full of these little papers. I grab the first one. I open it. Hi, Mike. Thanks for being our speaker. To be honest, I fell asleep a bunch, and I was bored. But at least you were entertaining. Vivian. <laughs> and I was like... My dream was always to just be entertaining, you know, but too bad you fell asleep and were bored, but somehow I was still entertaining. I, I literally wadded it up and I threw it on the floor. And I went to, there were some redeeming ones, but that one was my daughter saying the same. 
Um, gosh, okay, so a purifying in the church. And as the church is purified, I think we're going to find the church of Jesus far more potent and powerful than before. And that's exciting. That's really exciting. And, and, and I want you guys to know, make no mistake, God is on the move. He's been forcefully advancing, it says in Scripture, in the Gospels, since the time of John the Baptist. And I promise you, he still is. COVID has not stopped him. This purifying in the church has not stopped him. He is wildly and radically on the move. Amen? I was made aware of it. I'm going to tell you guys a couple of fun stories here, I hope. Um, I was really made aware of the fact that God himself is on the move to build his church. To draw, when I say that, by the way, to build his church, I'm not talking about a building or anything like that. I'm talking about people coming into the family of God and then operating as followers of Jesus who are disciples who make other disciples. That is the church, okay? That's like scriptural under, uh, like understanding of the church. It was, it was never a building. They didn't even have buildings back then, okay? Um, so they had, the church didn't have buildings. They had buildings. <laughs> this was so long ago. They didn't even have, no structures. They just had sticks and they'd rub them together. <laughs> No, um, so I was really made aware of this 15 years ago, over 15 years ago, when I joined um, Youth with a Mission and kind of started my vocation as a missionary. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I came to my DTS or Discipleship Training School. Um, I came a week early to Hawaii with a buddy to party in Hawaii before Bible school took away my freedoms. I missed orientation because that week I'd made myself sick with my lifestyle. So I slept through all of orientation. Monday morning, I get up and go to my first class. <laughs> and I'm sitting. Um, and I, it took me about like 15 minutes to realize like, something's different here. And I didn't know what it was, but really looking back, I can see that people there actually, be- actually lived what they said they believed. And there was power in their life. Like, there was this, like, joy. There was this, like, the fruit of the Spirit. There was, like, because I was, like, the best pretender. I was so good. I, I was a youth group all growing up in church. I was at Awanas, if you know what that is. I was, I was, and I knew the answers. But I, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so I was pretty shocked. And then I had multiple different experiences or encounters where God was showing me that he sees me and loves me. Um, and then uh, I'll, I'll quickly share. Well, no, I'll move on. I'm just going to tell some of these fun stories. These are the ones I felt to share. So um, the first time, six months into this whole experience, I had gone from being a student in my discipleship training school to being a staff. And I went with a team to the South Pacific, to this little island in the South Pacific, and we were pioneering a new missions training base. Okay? And it was like, it was crazy. Like, it was, bo- we literally lived in the jungle. We, we lived in these wood huts that had no walls. So they're just like posts, and then they have like a coconut leaf roof. And then when the rain comes, you can hear it. Like, it just, because it's tropical, and it's just like, you can hear it coming. You put all of the palm frond, like, they're, thank you, curtains. They like, you just put them down there. And then your bed doesn't get wet, hopefully. 
it doesn't get as wet. Um, so I was there, and it was, it was a pretty wild time, but um, what happened was that God showed up in ways I have never experienced in my life. Like, never. We, we, um, we're literally building these little wood huts, they call them falles, and, um, and we're building the bunk beds, and we're doing all this stuff, and we're moving, it's just mud that we live in. And so we're moving these giant rocks out of the way of where we're going to build new things and where we want grass to eventually be one day and stuff like that. And there clearly became a silent competition between the whiteies and the local islanders, okay? We're all good friends, right? But like literally, and these guys are warriors. They're like, you don't want to get in a fight with any of them. Like, and they would go and pick up these rocks. They're like, you know, like, and I'm like, you know, but so literally I'm competing with the women <laughs> internally, okay, and um, we're picking up these rocks and moving them, and one of the, the, the ladies, amazing woman, her, her name is Tufaina, um, local uh, from the island, and, uh, but with us in, in YWAM, and we're moving rocks, and she doesn't tell anyone, but she hurt her neck while she was moving rocks. So it's getting worse and worse throughout the days following. A couple weeks later, she just leaves one morning, goes into town, uh, and goes to the doctor and says, hey, there's something wrong with my neck. So he like feels out. He's like, ooh, I think you need to get an x-ray. It feels like something's wrong. They get an x-ray. It turns out one of the vertebrae in her neck has twisted somehow, like really bad. And the doctor freaks out. He's like, this is so bad. I can't believe that your neck, with, with how your vertebrae is, I can't believe that your neck hasn't swollen cutting off circulation to your spinal cord, which could cause you to be paralyzed. So he literally goes, we need to medevac you to New Zealand for surgery. Now, we live in a jungle island in the South Pacific. The hospital was awful. Um, and so literally, he gives her a shot of cortisone in her neck, which is like a goo that goes in there to keep you from swelling, right? So like, you guys know what I'm talking about. Okay, so he gives her that and then says to her this, you can stay here until we can figure this thing out or you can go home <laughs> because the hospital was no better than the home. And so she's like, I'm going to go home. So she comes home. She's crying back to our base. And she says, hey, um, this is what's going on. She has an x-ray of her vertebrae. And so we're all like, well, let's pray for her. We don't really know what to do. We're like, we're like, let's pray for her. So we start praying for her. A bunch of us gather around. We start praying for her. And we're praying for a few minutes. And one guy interrupts us who's praying for her. His name's Stuart. Still a good friend. And he goes, guys, wait. I think I just got healed. And we're like, what? <laughs> we're like, we're not even praying for you. He's like, dude, I have had such pain in my tricep that I couldn't even hold a cup of coffee without having pain in my arm. He goes, it just went all tingly, and now I f it feels totally better. And he gets down, and he starts doing one-handed push-ups. He's like, I'm healed! And he jumps up, and everybody's going crazy. So they were, like, praying like crazy. Like, God's healing people! We pray for, like, a half an hour, and nothing happens. And Tufaina looks at us, and she says, I'm not just saying this. I absolutely believe that God's healing me. So thanks. And we're like, are you healed or not healed? You know, she's like, no but he is. And I was like, okay, you're welcome. You know, like, um, she goes and goes to bed. All of us do. We live on this little, in this jungle patch of mud. And um, she wakes up in the middle of the night and says her neck goes crack. And she says, thank you, Jesus, for healing me. Goes back to sleep. Wakes up 
early in the morning goes back into town, which is a long walk to a bus stop to get into town. Goes back to the doctor the next morning, right? So this is 15 hours later. And talks to the doctor, says, hey, um, I need a new x-ray because last night Jesus healed me. The doctor's an atheist. And he's like, pulls the x-ray from 15 hours ago and goes, you, you could die. Like, you could be paralyzed. You're not healed. You need to go to New Zealand and get surgery. And she says, no, I'm healed. And he goes, no, you're not. And they argue. And then he's like, well, I can't deny her to get another x-ray if she's convinced. So he sends her to the x-ray lab. She gets an x-ray. They give her the x-ray. She brings it back. He takes one look at it. And he goes, that's wrong. Go tell the x-ray guys that, um, that they gave you the wrong x-ray, right? This is a jungle hospital that is not like, it's not like, uh, never mind. It's. So she goes back to the x-ray text and she's like, doctor says this is the wrong one. You must have mixed them up. And they're like, it's the only x-ray we've taken this morning. So, but you don't want to make the doctor mad, right? Because he's the boss boss. So the x-ray techs are like, let's take another one. <laughs> so they're like, we don't have any other one, but let's just so they zap her again. You know, I think that's bad for you to get too many of those things, right? So literally she takes it back, third x-ray, right? And he's like, that's wrong. Goes with her to the x-ray lab and they're like there's no other x-rays like this is all. so they take another x-ray while the doctor's there he takes one look at the x-ray and he looks at her and he says this he goes he says i've never seen anything like this he says i don't believe in god but i want to start going to church with you he goes not only is your neck perfectly healed he says but the cortisone that i put in there like 15 hours ago you'd be able to see it it's actually like a goo goes in that keeps things i don't know he goes, it's completely gone. So I've never seen anything like this before. And that doctor started going to church with us. <laughs> this is how I began to realize, because I'm sitting there like, I was as shocked as he was. I'm like, can you bring us the x-rays? So I'm like looking at him like, you've got to be kidding me <laughs> that God's doing this. It was in that place that I had, there was a student there a few weeks in. I'm 19 years old total white kid from California, middle class, like not very cultured. And um, I, I, talked, I talked to this girl and I say to her, I go, hey, Anna, her name was Anna. And I said, uh, hey, how are you liking um, DTS? And she goes, oh, good, good, good. And I went, awesome, what's your favorite part of, of like the DTS? And she's like, oh, good, good. And I'm like, what? No, and so like classic, right? I'm like, no, no. What is your favorite part? She doesn't understand what I'm saying. She's like, <laughs> and, then it, and then I like proceed. I'm like, no, be persistent, you know? So until it got awkward, like we're both sitting there embarrassed, like we can't communicate, right? And I'm like, I'm gonna go, you know? And I start to literally just turn around and be like, okay, bye, like no closure to the, like it was just weird, you know? I start to turn, and she grabs my shoulder and turns me around, which was weird. And she looks me right in the eyes. And I remember thinking, like, whoa, what's happening? Like, it was weird. She looks me right in the eyes, and then she proceeds to speak to me in perfect English and tell me that I'm going to be a Bible teacher. I'm 19 years old, terrified of speaking in front of people. Terrified. It's always better to speak in the morning than at night because I can't eat until I'm done speaking. I had a, I had a superpower Anytime I had to speak, I would liquefy everything here and expel it. 
Don't worry, it's gotten better. It's gotten a lot better. Okay. I was terrified of this scenario, terrified. And, um, and so I'm, and she looks at me in perfect English. She goes, you're going to be a Bible teacher and you're going to travel the world and teach the word of God. You need to learn to remain in him. And he's going to take you through learning his. Literally, I just started shrinking. I was like, this whole thing. And then she goes like this. She's just like, I have it written in my journal. She's like, just telling me all this stuff. And then she goes, and I'm like, what? What? And she says this. She goes like this. I don't know I say. I don't know I say. I don't know I say. And I literally was like, do you have anything else you need to say? And she, and she literally looked at me like, <laughs> like she didn't understand. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, and I remember I was like, I'm going to go write this down, you know? And literally, she's part of our school. So she would come up to me days later and be like, Mike, Mike, remain. What remain? <laughs> literally, like she remembered words she had said and had no idea what they meant. And I was like, stop playing with me. I was like, <laughs> I just look at her like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I was scared of her after that, you know? <laughs> but I remember, I was like, oh my gosh, God is so wildly active and alive and involved in our lives today, right now, just like he was in here. Just like he was in here. Last story I'll tell during that time. This is one of the most wild ones I've ever seen. We, we, we were a very small community living in the jungle. Everybody knew everybody very well, right? Your house has no walls, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> okay, so, so we are, we're in this scenario, and food was difficult. Um, there was food, but it's difficult to get and then make food for like 42 people, three meals a day, right? So we had one uh, staff lady who's fully in charge. That was her job was to do food, right? So we, and it was funny, we had students um, write a complaint, like a petition. They got like half the student body to sign. It was so bad. Please stop starving us. And then like half the student body signed. It made the lady cry. It was not a good idea. But um, yeah, but, uh, but we were very meticulous with food, right? So we have a lunch one day. We have sandwiches, tuna fish sandwiches, and you have one per person. Everyone is in one folle. is literally this big, like this many people. This is our whole, and you live with them with no walls. Every, like, we were all close, okay? And, um, and so everybody's there, and everybody's eating a sandwich. You don't just skip, right? We get done eating, and I was helping, like, because I was a staff, I was helping with whatever. And I realized everybody's eating, and the pile of sandwiches has not gotten less. So I literally was like, hey, guys, uh, Looks like there's still sandwiches left, but even though I was like, this is so weird because we made one per person. Like, we we're very meticulous about that. So I guess if you want another one, you can. Literally, almost every single guy in the group came forward to get another sandwich, right? They go back and sit down, pile of sandwiches still there. So I get up and I'm like, guys, this is weird. There shouldn't be this many sandwiches. We need to eat them. So like nine guys got up and they're like, we'll have another one, you know? Still sandwiches left over. And I talked to our leader about it, and he's like, oh, that is definitely multiplication of food. So we're telling this testimony months later at a church at this old lady. I wasn't telling it. My buddy was telling it. Taquito, we called him. Brian was his name. But uh, <laughs> we called him Taquito. Um, and so this old lady comes up front of the church, and, uh, 
okay, so old lady comes up in front of the church, and uh, she, she asks, she goes, that testimony was amazing. He's like, oh, thank you. She goes, what kind of sandwiches were they? <laughs> and, and my buddy Brian's like, ah, tuna fish. We literally ate either tuna fish or peanut butter like every day for lunch. It was tuna fish. And she goes, ha, huh, that's what I thought. And he was like, that's what you thought? <laughs> you know, like, what a weird interaction. And the lady looks at him, she goes, yeah, that's fish and bread. Jesus has done that miracle before. And literally, he told him, gosh, it was fish and bread. We're like, oh my gosh, we missed it for months, you know? And I began to realize, you guys, I was like, oh man, God is wildly on the move in our world today. He really is. But there was something that happened early on in my missions um, kind of like experience that kind of got me shifting away because I loved that, guys. I, I could tell for hours, I could tell you stories of things that they're impossible. I'm like, this is not possible. I, I don't know, like it's completely supernatural, right? Um, but something happened early and I loved that and I still do. I'm like, it's so fun to pray for someone who's hurting and they stop hurting. And they're like, this is so weird. I was, I was just in Southeast Asia with my family. We prayed, my daughter prayed for this guy. Uh, well, long story short, I'll tell you that my son and I are out praying for people who are sick, right? This old guy has a knee problem. So I was like, Xavier, you're going to pray for him because Holy Spirit, there's no junior Holy Spirit, right? So I was like, you're going to pray for him. He goes, what do I do? I was like, just ask Jesus to heal it. So he puts his hand on the guy's knee. He goes, Jesus, heal this old man's knee. Amen. And I'm like, amen, test it out. And the guy's like, is that good? And he starts doing this. And then he's like, oh, and he starts doing squats. And he's like, oh, and he doesn't speak English, you know? So we're like talking. And Xavier looks at me, he goes, that was cool. The guy goes running off and like gets his other friends with knee problems. And my son prays for them. Jesus, heal this man's knee. Amen. Totally healed. They're doing, they're like running around this field. It was wild. Like, God is moving in wild, wild ways. But let me come to my point here on this. It is, it is this. Early on, I was in Mozambique on an outreach, and we saw a little girl uh, who was mute. She's probably five years old, speak for the very first time. It was incredible. Her mom, she said mama for the first time in her life at five. Her mom was freaking out. It was the, coo- it was the first time I'd ever seen a healing in my whole life. They came and told us about it, and I was like this. Of course God heals. That's what he does. And then, you know, I'm like, what just happened? Like, I couldn't even believe it, right? And I got home, and I was sharing the story of this, from this, about Mozambique and this whole thing, and this, this thought came into my mind. I think it was God. He said this, hey, Mike, do you know if that girl's even alive anymore, or maybe she's dead? And I was like, what a weird thought. And I was like, I would hope not. She's like five, and like, Why would that thought even come into my mind? And then I felt the Lord say to me, if she's dead, what good is her healing? And I was like, no no good, I guess. (laughs) And I was like, what are you trying to, what are you trying to communicate with me? And I felt God say, I want to show you a better way. And I'm going to read this scripture for you guys out of um, 2 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks all about spiritual gifts. The title, the caption there would be spiritual gifts, right? And it talks about all these different spiritual gifts. And then in verse 27, at the very end, it says, 
Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues? The rhetorical question that's being asked there is this, 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 this. The answer is no. Not everyone does all those things. We are all different members of the body. Then he says this. Do all interpret, uh, verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. That's awesome. You were allowed to go after spiritual gifts, right? Like with God, say, okay, let's go after these different things that we have desire for in our heart. Whether it's healing or prophecy or tongues or interpretation or teaching or whatever, right? That's awesome. But then it says this, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then you get 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love. And I love the part that says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that to, as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. nothing. I started on a journey of like discovering how God wants us to live. Really, honestly, discovering God's love for me and my ability with God to love others radically and sacrificially. And now I've perfected it. No. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> But I just want to say this. Coming from a place of sacrificial love, I've seen it so many times. It leads to the most radical things I've seen God do. It starts in that place of sacrificial love. And I'm going to quickly give you this little bit of teaching. I know we're, we're, we're getting close here, but um, in Matthew 7, it's a Sermon on the Mount, and um, there's this really, like, scary stuff that Jesus starts saying. Things like, the road to destruction is wide, the gate and road to eternal life is very narrow. And then it says things like, many will do signs and wonders, cast out demons in my name, and yet when they step from this life into the next, I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of evil. That verse terrifies me. The verse terrifies me, and here's why. Because I thought for a really long time that for sure I'm in because that little girl in Mozambique started speaking. I don't know if you're in, but I'm in. <laughs> and then I began to realize throughout Scripture that this idea of spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit are very, very different things. And I love those things. Those, these things are not bad. Spiritual gifts, operating in, in, in power, all that stuff is amazing. So fun. But the actual necessity that we must walk in are what we would call spiritual fruits. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he's talking about Pharisees. These are the religious leaders. That's, it's the, it's the, no, I'm not going to make the correlation because it's not the same. But <laughs> the religious leaders of their time. 
And Jesus is constantly lampooning them for the way that they're living their life. And literally he says this, you will know them, meaning real followers of me, by their fruit. Now here's what's, here's what's it's not by their gifts, not by their powers, not by their wealth, not by their status, by their fruit. Now there are four words, I'm not a Greek scholar, but there are four words in the New Testament for fruit, Greek words, four different words that mean fruit. The same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 7 is the word that is used by Paul in Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. That was not in order. Dang it. Um, oh, close. It was close. Um, but that was nine. That was all of them. The word is karpos. The Greek word is karpos, in case you care. <laughs> I was going to write it on the whiteboard, but there isn't one, so... That's the, that's the word that's used for fruit, right? Now, now, here's what we need to understand. Gifts are awesome. I have been uh, to Africa, to Sudan specifically. I've been a few places but in Africa, but Sudan specifically. I have seen the most, I have seen insane supernatural things that are not God. Done by witch doctors. It's crazy. It's real. I also know from Scripture, like in Exodus, this is a, to a topic for another time, but that Mo Moses is told to go back and deliver the Israelites, and he says they won't listen. He has all these excuses. God says, throw your staff on the ground. Here will be a sign, right? Turns into a snake. If I brought a stick in and I was like, guys, check it out, okay? This is what we need to do. We need to, like, love the city really good. Let me prove it to you. Poof, I throw a stick on the ground. <laughs> it's a snake. You'd be like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's an amazing sign, you know? And then the magicians of Pharaoh do the same thing. And then Moses turns blood into water. And then the magicians turns water into blood. Thank you, Dave. And then the magicians do the same thing. And then Moses causes frogs to come up out of the Nile. And the magicians do the same thing with their magic arts. What is my point? My point is very simply this. What differentiates us from the rest of the world, Jesus said, is our fruit. And our fruit is how we are operating in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That is is the key. And guys, I love all that other stuff and I don't want to stop. I'm not saying like, oh, stop. No, earnestly desire the greater gifts. That's, that's what 1 Corinthians says. Earnestly desire, go after them. But the, our first aim is not that. It's not that. Also here, it's a key, you guys, for us in our levels of judgment. Gosh, I, I, I travel all over and I teach and I, I even within what... Guys, there are YWAM bases that are totally opposed to other YWAM bases. Like, you guys are the same. You're not even a different... Listen, if you want to get on a different denomination, like, that's bad, but at least I can understand it. You're the, you're the same family, and you don't even know them. Here's the thing about fruit. 
It is very, very, very difficult to understand someone's fruit by looking at their Instagram. You, you kind of, you need to know them. <laughs> you, you need to know them. And if you don't, it's too easy. Christian and Christina have helped start this thing for academics and people of all different types to have conversation about difficult things. My goodness, it is easy to read a snippet of their whatever and be like, I don't even know if they're Christians. <laughs> But that, honestly, guys, that's what we're doing so often. People are like, well, there's this, and I, I saw a six-word sentence, and I decided this guy's hellbound. Like, we don't know them, and it keeps us from judgment to say, God, help me identify people's fruit. Help me identify people's fruit. Now, I got I to keep moving here, but um, fruit is the primary thing that we should be looking at and focusing on in our own lives, and in the lives of those around us. It's our fruit. And honestly, guys, it takes time and it costs us something to live out the fruit of the Spirit. It really does. If we want to live as disciples of Jesus in this city, serving this city well, it will cost you. It'll cost and honestly, the question is this. Do you, Corom Deo, want to pay that cost? So I, I can tell you guys this. I'm close friends with Dave and Matt, and they love what they do. I know they love this. I, I get to sit with them in a lot of meetings. I also know that it is costly every week, every year, to keep opening their homes, to keep facilitating, to keep getting up at 5, 6 in the morning to make sure this space is ready for us. And I can say that with confidence, but I also know that it is worth it to them to pay the cost. It's worth it. And my question is, is it worth it to all of us to live the fruit of the Spirit out. It, listen, if you love someone, it looks like something. It does. And it's costly. If we want to have a successful church here in Denver, our first aim should not be how big are the gatherings, how inspiring or emotional is the music or message, or even seeing people get healed or performing miracles. That's not the first aim. The first aim, the first and foremost, is to love people really, really sacrificially well. The more radical we love, the more radically we'll see God move in power. I believe that. I've seen it. So, what does sacrificial love look like? I'm going to close this up with two stories. The first one is one I've been wrestling with this year because it was traumatic. And I didn't even know that it was trauma in my life. I had people like Katie help me. They were like, oh, that's, um, I don't remember, was it you? I think it was you that was like, yeah, that's like classic clinical trauma. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. But here is, um, here's the story. Ten years ago, I took a small team to Sudan. 
I've been to a lot of different nations and I've been to a handful of nations in Africa. I have never been to a nation that is anything like Sudan. Um, I have never been to a place where people have so little. I have never been to a place where um, life was so cheap. People just died all the time. It was crazy. I just preached funeral. Hey, this guy died. Can you preach the funeral? I'm like, I'm a stranger. They're like, you're a pastor, right? And I'm like, kind of. They're like, can you please come preach it? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, it, it was wild. And the time was really, it was really very intense because um, it, at that point it was one Sudan. And then the UN declared the leader uh, an international criminal while I was there for genocide because the Arab North was systematically eradicating the Black South. And, um, and so that led to the nation ultimately splitting. But before it did that, that's where we are, right? Then, then you have this group called the LRA, or Lord's Resistance Army. He was the, the main guy, Joseph Kony, was made famous a few years ago on social media. So he's the guy that started this thing, child soldiers, the most horrendous, hideous crimes against humanity that there is, that I can literally think of. They were doing those things regularly. Uh, and stealing kids and making them child soldiers, and it was awful, right? So there's a, a joint military venture to rout the LRA, but they're guerrilla fighters. They don't wear uniforms or anything. So they all dispersed, and they know to gather on the border of Congo, which is right through the village I'm in. And so um, I woke up one morning. The cook's gone. Turns out she went to her brother. Her, her brother Die. Her brother was hacked to death by the LRA the night before, a mile from where we were sleeping. And so she had to go to the funeral. So we didn't eat. So there's no McDonald's there. <laughs> I didn't see a single paved road the whole two months. But here, so it was traumatic, right? I, I'm just surviving, right? I remember buying a live goose for 20 US dollars, cutting its head off with a pocket knife, cooking it on a stick, eating it with shaking hands. Like it was for sure the closest I've ever been to starving. It was awful. And uh, <laughs> one last little caveat to give you a feel for it. I'm pretty good in intense situations, okay? So like if somebody falls and like their head's bleeding, I'm not like, ah! I'm typically like, hey, you, stop screaming. You, put pressure on it. You, call 911. Inside, I'm panicked, but outside, I do pretty good. I'm like surprised. I'm like, wow, I did good right there, right? <laughs> um, and so, and so, all this stuff is happening with the LRA. The UN is de deciding if they're going to remove all American citizens via helicopter, and then they decide not to. I've never felt a blanket of fear over a place like that week. It was oppressive. And uh, I went to sleep one night under my mosquito net in my mud hut. It's pitch black. Middle of the night, the side of my mud hut just comes crashing down. <sighs> I curl up into a ball at the end of my bed. 100% convinced Joseph Coney himself is coming through with a machete to kill me, and I can't move. I'm literally in, in the corner, holding my knees like this under my mosquito net, just trying to breathe. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Turned out it was the mango tree. <laughs> Big old branch of the mango tree came down, smashed, thankfully no beds were on that side of the house. Smashed it from then on, it was the Coney mango. Hated that mango for, forever after that. <laughs> That's where I was, and that's the situation that I was in. But in it, um, I did something that I regret, something that I'm a little bit ashamed of. Um, what happened was we ran into a 10-year-old girl who was taking care of her two-year-old brother. Uh, his name was Isaiah. 
part of the reason I realized it was tra trauma is because I had forgotten his name. I had to write a girl on my team and tell her, I don't want to forget his name anymore. What happened was they got ostracized from their village because both their parents died of AIDS. <clears throat> and the boy is very, very sick. He's like dying. So we take them to the clinic. And the clinic is there. They say it's probably malaria. We'll test him, but he's in bad shape. So they do, and they say his blood is riddled. Malaria is a, a um, bacteria, comes in through a mosquito, and then it grows. That's why it could take two weeks even for you to notice. So your body's processing it, and then all of a sudden it gets overrun. Your liver, kidneys can no longer clean, clean this bacteria out of your blood. Fevers start. People die. A lot of people die. So what they said is our one hope would be that if somebody has the same kind of blood as him, then what we can do is literally drain some of his blood out one arm, put your blood in the other arm because it's clean. And then we'll treat the malaria and hopefully that it'll, it'll work. Otherwise, like he's too far gone. So we test our blood. Like what else can you do, right? We're just, it's just an emergency all the time. So we test our blood. One of the girls has the right kind of blood. So, you know, I'm very careful with them. I'm like, listen, we know their parents died of AIDS and all this stuff. You, you be very, very careful. Anyway, so they were. And um, of course, they tested the boy when they were checking on all the malaria stuff and everything, tested him for AIDS, and he did have AIDS. So this is, this is where it gets rough. Um, he immediately responds and start, starts getting better. And, uh, and then, you know, the question now becomes, what do we do with this 10-year-old girl and 2-year-old boy who have been kicked out of their village? They're just literally in the bush by themselves. So we bring them to our YWAM base, because what else do you do? Like, and, and we just brought them in there. And um, it, it, this is interesting. Let me just backtrack a quick second and just tell you guys this. I'm almost done, I promise. But backtrack and just tell you guys this. I had forgotten all of this until last year. I was on a Zoom Bible study with one of our leaders in, in YWAM. And he was talking about um, sacrificial love. And he said, hey, in Christian settings, a lot of times we forget what that really means. He goes, I'd like to restructure it. He would make us study Greek and Hebrew words and then give him the best interpretation of what we thought that it meant. So the best we could come up with in sacrificial love is essentially engaging, intentionally engaging in painful love. It's going to hurt. That's sacrificial love, right? It hurts. So I was like, man, that just reframed it for me. And as he's sharing, I was jolted back. It's very, very a counselor thing. I, I, I'm learning. But I was jolted back to this memory 10 years ago where this whole thing happened and, you know, with Isaiah and this whole thing. And I'm like, whoa, this is so weird. And I felt so emotional. I was like, what is happening? And here's the experience that happened to me, right? We brought him onto the base. And here's the part. Here's my regret. I'll give it to you guys. I made a decision based on life there and the fact that he's two and has AIDS and all this stuff. I decided that he's going to die. And so because of that and everything that was going on and all of that, I decided to avoid him. Because I didn't feel that I could deal with the questions and the, of this two-year-old dying. So I did. I avoided him. And I was right. About, I don't know, two months later, I got an email from the base. And they said, hey, we just wanted to let you know that Isaiah passed away. And I felt very little. I felt very little until last year, 10 years later, when I'm on a Zoom Bible study and we're talking about engaging in painful love and I'm jolted back 
to Sudan 10 years before. And I felt so ashamed. I was like, I have this weird thing because I travel and teach. I have this weird thing that has happened to me. It's never happened before. It's only ever happened with my own kids since I've had them and when they're very small. So I'll travel even when they're real little. Like between one and six months is, was when it was the worst. But I would leave and go somewhere and teach. And I would be done teaching. Everything's great. And I'd go back into my room and sit on my bed. And I would get like stabbed with missing them. And I, it would make me, I'd have to distract myself or worship or go hang out with somebody. Because it was like, I was like, what am I doing? I, I hate being here. Like, why, why did I choose this? I want to go home, you know? And it was weird because the thing I wanted to do, so bad, it might sound weird, but if you're a parent, maybe not. I wanted to squeeze them and sniff their head. <laughs> like, like, just drink them. <laughs> That's what I want. And it was like this, I, it was like this itching, like, I can't. And it would make me angry. <laughs> and... Um, I've never had that for anyone other than my own kids when they're really, really little until last year in the middle of a Zoom call. And I felt like God let me, I don't know, like just see this little boy the way he saw him. And I remember sitting there, I disengaged from the Bible study. As soon as it was over, I closed the lid. I went down to this little office I made in my garage and I closed the door and I got on my knees and I was like, I'm so ashamed. Like, why didn't I pray for this kid? Why didn't I hold him every day and tell him how much he was loved? And I was sitting in that little, my little office. All I wanted to do was squeeze him and sniff his beautiful little head. But he's gone. And I remember on my knees, I said to God, I said, God, never again. Never again. Please help me. Never again do I want to have the opportunity to join you in in painful love and choose not to in order to protect myself. I don't want to do it. Help me. Because painful is painful. Let me give you, a, uh, we'll end with the story of success, not mine, and it's faster because it's not mine. We had a team that we sent to Nepal. I don't know if you guys were on this team. Maybe, maybe not. But um, you guys could correct any of my details if you were. We sent teams to all over the world from our discipleship training schools. A team went to Nepal and um, did a really great job loving people. And um, they saw a lot of wild, miraculous things that God was doing. And they started sharing all those stories when they came back. We gave them teams time to share what God did. They're sharing about all these miracles and healings. It was awesome. And then one of them gets up right at the end of their sharing and says, yeah, we had this guy we met at the beginning of our trip. He was blind. And we built friends. He's begging on the street. He's blind. We built friends with him and learned that his parents blinded him at birth because he, you, you make more money on the street. And it broke them, and they just in, invested with him. And his parents wouldn't let him come. He's now a young boy, probably 10 or 12 maybe. Um, they wouldn't let him come to the Bible studies. So they worked with the parents and loved on the parents and all this. Long story short is they got to the point right before they're leaving to come home where their parents said he can, come, he can go to one Bible study. So they've been doing these things the entire time they're there and a lot of youth go, but that night was about him. And they're like, we've done the gospel message, but we're going to do it again just for him. And this whole thing, so they're all excited. They're praying. They're praying for their friend. I don't remember his name, and that he would be touched by the gospel, their blind beggar friend. And, um, and then the Bible study starts. It's normal for people to be late, but 20 minutes or so in, he's not there. And they're like, oh, no. Like, he's not coming. We didn't even, 
We didn't even think of that. And somebody goes, I'm going to go out and look for him. So they sent a small delegation out looking for him. They found him and realized he wanted to come, but he's blind and felt scared to go somewhere he hadn't been. So they're like, oh my gosh. If you want to come, your parents said you can come. We'll help you. He goes, it's going to take too long now. I know I'm late. It's going to take too long to get there. (laughs) Do you know what they did? They They took turns carrying him on their back so that he could go to Bible study. They walked a mile with him so he didn't have to walk slowly being a blind boy. I remember when I heard that story at the end of all these miracle stories and healings and all this stuff, I went, that one has something so special about it. That one has something so special about it because it's about sacrificial love. And what I want to leave us with, Christina, do you want to just close? We're going to close up with a song for you guys to reflect on. But the question that I just want to, I just want to present to us as a church body, we're about to move into scattered season, right? The question that I want to ask is, essentially it's this, you guys. We won't have, it's the part of the purpose of the scattered season is that we don't have this where we can come and just be fed by Dave and Matt. Like it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be a little bit uncomfortable. It's supposed to be this like we're we're engaging in this house community with the intention of loving one another sacrificially and loving the city around us sacrificially and growing up in Jesus. And and what I wanted to leave you guys with and what I wanted you to just process with and ask the Lord is, really ask the Lord this, God, you have loved me. Literally, there is no greater love than this than that a friend lay down his life for a friend, right? Literally, Jesus tells his disciples that and then he goes and dies for them. The cross is the definition for us of sacrificial love. He didn't have to do that. He chose to engage in painful love for you and me. And then he invites us to join with him in painful love toward those around us. And my question very simply for us, as a whole church, not as a leadership, is God, how can I join with you in painful love over these next four months? What do you, what do you want me to do? Where are you? What are you doing? I'll leave you guys with this, the, the lyrics of this song by Jeremy Riddle, an old song. He, he said, um, it says, Lord, I said I want to seek you, to be where you are, to know you. He says, but then I've forgotten who you are and what you look like. And then the chorus literally says this, you're among the poor. You're close to the broken. The least of these is where you are. I just, I want to encourage you guys, like, um, God is on the move. In this city, he's on the move all over the world. And my question for you is this, how are we, how are we as Deo going to engage with God on his mission of sacrificially loving those around us? 
So Lord, I just ask Holy Spirit that you'd speak to us. And I ask that we would have a just a desire, a new desire in our heart to say we recognize that you have loved us and we want to operate in loving others sacrificially. So I just I ask Holy Spirit that even as we close in worship, that you'd speak to us. Very practical, specific things for different individuals. Say, this next four months, join me in this. I'm already doing it. Join me though. In loving one another, in loving me, and in loving this world around us in this way. for listening. If you want to connect further, please visit us at www.cdchurch.org.